Insert Disc 2. All right, hello everyone. Welcome to a special Insert Disc 2 interview edition. I'm here with a living legend in the Amiga scene, Ravi Abbott. Hello, Ravi. Hello, how are you doing? I love your podcast. Oh, Amazing. Thank Big you fan. so much. Thank you. So, Ravi, uh, before we get into the interview, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, I'm a kind of general massive geek so i do the retro hour podcast which is every week but i also do 8-bit mix which is my new podcast where i dj with amigas and um i'm kind of employed as a web designer at the moment so i do a lot of web design for different companies and i've worked with friend as well uh, the friend network i was working with them recently oh great great i wish we could have used their uh their chat program for this because uh, we had a little bit of trouble getting set up with this (laughs) nightmare with Skype. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, um, so I think we should start by going back in time. Um, Ravi, tell me about your, your earliest experience just with computers in general. Oh, my earliest experience with computers. God, I always ask this to people on the podcast and I can't actually think of one myself. Um, let me think. It would probably be maybe playing Missile missile Command. Mm-hmm. I remember that. Or my, my brother had an Atari, and uh, Ataris were incredibly popular over here in the um, kind of late 80s. And I, uh, I remember playing Paperboy on that and uh, Missile Command and a few games like that, but not really being into it. And also having one of those old cassette tapes and putting it into the cassette player so when you say it will play the soundtrack you know when you say atari are you talking about uh atari, uh, atari computers, computers or are you talking about, about oh, oh, oh i'm getting some I'm feedback getting all of a sudden all i hear myself okay. through the speakers okay let me just put my headphones on <laughs> there we go all right perfect uh so are you talking about atari computers or are you talking about the the 2600 I, uh, the 2600. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. So and, uh, I'm not sure. It was just an Atari console that my brother had that kind of was upstairs that he'd occasionally bring out and we'd have a game <laughs> so on it. You know? these, are, these are very hazy memories. Yeah, yeah, yeah very early, yeah. Um, so what about the first time that you really sat down in front of a proper computer? Do you remember that? Uh, yeah, I think it was with my mum's actually because my mum had this old... Um, we had Amstrad in Europe, and Amstrad was basically the kind of cheaper package computer. So you get the all-in-one stuff, and they'd do a, a processor, which was a, a PC clone. So um, it was kind of like it was a PC clone made by Amstrad, and then you could just completely run mad stuff on it. And my mum was doing a PhD on there, so she was doing a lot of word processing. Serious work. (laughs) Yeah, with with WordStar and stuff. But then I remember as a kid, I found out, I'm not sure if it was a shareware demo or something, but I found a copy of Wolfenstein 3D somewhere, loaded it onto there and was just addicted. (laughs) Oh, wow. So really, you you didn't start out with the Amiga at all then. You were were on the PC side of things. Yeah, I was on the early on. I was on the PC playing around and completely wrecking my mum's PC. I think at <laughs> one point um, I deleted one of the backup copies of a PhD. Oh my gosh! I'm sure <laughs> yeah. she was not pleased with that. No, she wasn't happy. <laughs> so what about what about the first time that you you really got to use an Amiga? First time I really got to use an Amiga. Well, my dad was um, an artist, so he'd always have. He, he, he was into technology, but he'd always have the latest stuff. So I remember he had um, one of these mobile phones that was like 
you know, you had it on the side mm-hmm. and it had a case. Oh yeah, the back. kind of had to, yeah, yeah, and it never worked. <laughs> so he was, he, I remember we went on holiday and he was expecting a call for the whole holiday. So he's like, if this phone rings, you know, get me. And it never rang. There was no signal. <laughs> but he was basically working with a lot of artists and they kind of uh, worked at the university in the fine art department and they realised that Amigas were incredibly cheap but powerful for what they did. Mm-hmm. So... It was powerful animation applications. So my dad, um, we got the loft converted in our house and my dad had an Amiga 2000 up there. And that was the first machine I could kind of really get to have good fun on. And I'd do a D-Paint on there and oh, yeah. little animation. So were you, I still got some of them. Were you uh, first attracted to the Amiga then from a more of an artistic perspective than a gaming perspective? Totally, totally. Like, it was weird for me when I later on met people and they were all talking about these games and Amiga for gaming and Commodore for gaming because in my head and also in a lot of the Americans' head, in the American market, it was seen as a applications machine, as a, as a kind of, you know, desktop computer rather than a, a sole games machine, right. which it was kind of sold as in the UK. Right, right. Especially when you think about all of the different packaging with the 500, you know, the Batman pack, the cartoon pack. Yeah, and exactly. And a lot of people were quite miffed off, actually, because they they needed the support from Commodore and they didn't get any of the support, mm. um, you know, for the high-end applications. Yeah. yeah. So they'd be ringing up Commodore with problems. <laughs> Just got no answers. <laughs> yeah. So what was, um, you know, what was the thing that stuck out to you when you were using an Amiga that just seemed to put it in a different class than the PCs that you'd been using? It was the speed for a start, like the speed of operations, um, the reliability as well, because a lot of people say, oh, Amigas crash all the time and there's memory problems. But if you know what software you're using and you've got a nice setup, then it's actually really, really stable. Um, yeah, and just the creativity and being able to play with it and see people do animations. But also, um, it got kind of crazy at the university. They had S-Video decks, so they'd be using Genlocks and titling over stuff and then animation effects, and they'd be doing live video mixing with the two jog wheels, you know. Right, that's that's sort of the thing that most impressed me when I, when I first started getting into the Amiga when we started this podcast uh, three years ago this week, actually. Um, we, uh, I, I couldn't believe that a computer that old, you know, from, from the mid-80s could do the kind of gen-locking stuff that I always associated with things that came along more in the mid-90s, you know, almost 10 years afterwards. Yeah, totally. And also stuff like Lightwave as well on top of that. And, you know, it, it was crazy far ahead of... Uh, I, I don't think there's a computer out at the moment that's that far ahead. Yeah, you know uh, how it was back then. Right, right. There's not, you know, when you look at, you know, high-end workstations now. I mean, they can they can process rendering and do things like that much quicker than your normal desktop. But as far as the, yeah. you know, the 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 capability itself, when you put aside the speed, you, I feel like we're we're on a much more even playing field. Yeah, I think stuff like Silicon Graphics in the '90s kind of did that again, but mm-hmm. there's not been that massive leap that that the Amiga had, which. It was weird because it was a leap that only tech nerds knew about as well because it wasn't like marketed that way. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you'd have to get uh, convinced by uh, an enthusiast. A fellow, yeah, it, really. a, a fellow believer. Yeah. Of it. <laughs> yeah. 
So I, I want you to tell me a little bit about uh, the computer room when you were a kid. You know, when you when you would get home from school and you're like, yeah, it's time to fire up the Amiga. What did it look like? What were you surrounded by? Well, it, it was weird because after school, um, I'd, I'd had Amigas as well. So what happened was my parents, basically, the Amiga flopped in the UK. Um, this was far before the CD32. This was actually when the 4000 was released mm-hmm. because they didn't put SCSI in there. And that annoyed all of the video editing people <laughs> you know, because they wanted fast hard drives. Oh, yeah. so, and they didn't have a flicker fixer in there, which was a massive issue because people were running around like crazy trying to get the right multi-sync monitors and stuff. Mm. So we dropped the whole Amiga range at the university and uh, me and my dad drove by in the car one day and saw a full stack of them. So put them in the... Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. if, if only so, you had a time machine, you'd be a rich man. <laughs> so I had uh, three 4,000s at home and wow. uh, 2,000s and I'd have them set up, um, but I'd also have a PC as well. So I'd be kind of playing on games with that. But when I come home from school, the main thing I'd be playing would be Worms Director's Cut mm-hmm. and I would have custom levels that I made in D-Paint on there and also custom sound effects so you'd have all the South Park guys like oh my god you've <laughs> killed Kenny and stuff like that and that was really cool because you could invite a mate around as well and you didn't need a couple of controllers you could play your worms turn and then he could take it as you a just hand off the keyboard sure yeah 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 would you say that those are your most uh, your fondest uh, Amiga gaming memories is, is uh, playing worms up there uh, I'd say worms and syndicate Definitely. Yeah. Syndicate was uh, so good for free roaming. That was like my first proper free roaming experience. Like, wow, this is a full city. I was mm. shocked when we played that on the show, how good it was. It's, it was really, you know, you talk about something ahead of its time. Um, and uh, But at the same time, that was one of the titles that when the PC version appeared, you could see that the PC was starting to pull away graphically from the Amiga. Yeah, and then Syndicate Wars came out and all that future stuff. And it was like, I wish that was on Amiga, but uh, sadly it wasn't. Yeah, And also Warcraft 2, I was a big Warcraft uh, 2 fan on the PC. And uh, sadly, that never came out. Not well. having that. Yeah, there were several sort of death knells for, for gaming on the Amiga, all in that same sort of, you know, 93 through yeah. and on, basically. Um, so uh, when you were when you were growing up, you know, out on the schoolyard, were you I guess all your Amiga experience didn't happen until you were you were older. Right. This wasn't a, a situation where you were defending the Amiga's honor against, you know, a, a competing systems. Right. Yeah. May, maybe maybe when I was 13 or 14. I was kind of a evangelicist and kind of going around <laughs> and uh, saying, no, your PC is awful and I can run this. Yeah. But to be fair, we had like 060 cards then. I mean, I was running like Doom at a very nice speed and everything. And people wouldn't believe me until they came around my house. And they right. Went, because oh, that's impressive, you know. I'm sure there were several people that had seen Amigas before in action. And what you were describing to them did not align with their experience with the stock. Yeah, not at all. They just like go, Amiga, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so tell me about your current setup. What's your current Amiga setup consist of these days? Uh, my current Amiga setup, I've got, oh God, I've got a 4000 at the moment that's um, got a video toaster setup in there. And I'm just trying to put a new tech flyer system in there, which is incredibly complex. It's got this thing called an octopus cable. And it's uh, basically... Non-linear video editing. So it's uh, you you store the videos on a hard drive in MPEG-1, and then you can kind of switch them with the live video on Video Toaster and stuff. Oh, so you're just you're doing everything on the fly. 
yeah like, like with yeah. a tricaster or something like that would be yeah yeah exactly yeah. it's like a early kind of tricaster yeah. yeah so um what do you i mean obviously this is uh this is something that you do as a hobby what sort of results you know when you when you do a project like that uh what sort of projects have you done using those those video editing tools um uh, not many because I've, I've spent the whole time trying to get them working <laughs> <laughs> that's the story of my life man <laughs> it's it's like one of these classic cars you know that you kind of have in your driveway and you're continually restoring but it never gets to right. perfect condition <laughs> i probably could if i spent a grand on it or something but i'm not willing to now, do in, that okay let's know. pretend you can flip a switch and everything is ready what's the first project that you'd, you'd like to tackle with that kind of a setup i'd like to make a really bad 80s skateboard video oh that would be so <laughs> all, nice <laughs> all the cheesy effects yeah. and the spins and the rolls yeah with a a, a hip-hop soundtrack oh, yeah. i can't wait for that to happen <laughs> and, and you know speaking of the soundtrack you do a lot of work with music on the amiga right yeah so one thing that i was doing when i was a kid was i was playing with pro tracker and Optimat, which were uh, the mod players and i found it amazing that it was no limits that was the song there's no limit <laughs> and i found it amazing that i could get the audio samples on the keyboard and kind of mess about and play with them and uh i didn't know until they released this software called pt1210 um that you could actually dj with them and change the tempos on the fly a mix so i've started doing that with two amigas and i've kind of just turned them into dedicated dj machines they don't do anything else they don't play games they're wow. just there to dj on and i uh, stream live on 8-bit mix which is my show every month i do a little live amiga mix and you've you've taken this show live right uh, what was the last event that you were djing at yeah so um first one i actually did was at the national video game arcade uh which was called all your bass festival and it had oh the guy who did prapper the rapper music there they had rob hubbard and uh uh graham norgay david wise quite a lot of really really high up people and then i went to um i worked as a technician at art galleries and dj yoda was playing at my art gallery and he's a world famous dj and he was doing a video game set so i said to my boss come and watch my previous set and he saw that and then he goes okay cool you can support yoda so um I, I did a full DJ set in front of 300 or 400 people, and oh it was my a, gosh. very scary. <laughs> I, I mean, what's that like? I'm sure part of you is all hyped up on adrenaline, but part of you is like, oh, my gosh, don't crash, don't crash. You know? Yeah, I, I, I kind of went to a room and meditated before <laughs> and went out, you know, because my heart was racing. But the, the, the main thing is it's quite funny when it crashes, actually, because everybody sees that guru error. Oh, yeah. Um, it's, it's almost <laughs> part of the show, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, you get a little woo from the crowd when it crashes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, how has your, you know, obviously this, how long have you guys been doing the Retro Hour now? Oh, God, I, I think 133 episodes wow. every week. So, yeah. Oh, I'm not sure. I'm rubbish at maths, but we've been doing it for quite a long time now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously the show has been phenomenally successful. Uh, how has it changed, you know, the, the way that you approach the retro scene? Um, I, I think it's good because we've been going to lots of retro events, which we didn't do before. Dan never went to a retro event until we were on the retro hour. I went on my own, and a lot of the time it would be like people in their own cliques. Mm-hmm. And you wouldn't be able to talk to people because they'd be like talking about assembly code. <laughs> just be lost. <laughs> so 
but now I go to retro events and there's there's the new kind of people who are like the YouTubers and the kind of podcasters and other podcasts. And it's great just to hook up with those people because they're not so into strict one system kind of stuff or they're not uh, defending their area so much. They're more like widespread to covering everything. Uh, it's like the new the new kind of media, like how the old magazine people would be. Right, you know? right. Um, tell actually, you know, I've never really heard the story, so I guess you can tell me what is what was the genesis of the Retro Hour? How did that get going? So the genesis of the Retro Hour was basically I did videos on YouTube, and I was the king of YouTube Amiga videos. But this was far, far back when people were watching YouTube, and then Dan came along and stole all my views. <laughs> <laughs> I um. I messaged him and then we kind of back and forth for a while. And then uh, he said, oh, I live down the road. I was like, okay, cool. Let's go for a drink. So we went for a drink in town, got on really well. And then we started doing videos together. But the videos weren't getting that many hits. And this was really cool stuff. Like we traveled out to Amsterdam to Amiga 30 and we met like, you know, Petro Chishenko. We met David Pleasance, all these top people. Like, wow, this is amazing. Uh, uh, RJ Michael and Dave Haney and stuff. And uh, no one was kind of interested in it because of the format that we did it in. I think it was like a cheesy YouTube presenter style. Right. So Dan just suggested a podcast and I kind of dismissed it a bit because I'd seen podcasts rise and then fall. Uh, but we did it. And as we did it, um, it just kind of started to rise again, in the, the podcasting world. And uh, it was it was really interesting because... The whole idea of it was just to get people on that we find interesting mm -hmm. and not talk about them ourselves, but get them to talk about what they've actually done. And uh, we've just got a huge archive of amazing guests that now, you know, some people have sadly passed away as well. So now we've actually got that stored and that kind of history. And that's the main aim of the podcast. It's never been to get famous or anything like that. Right, right. Well, that's it's amazing the work that you've done. Like you said, you you're you're able to anybody is able to go back through your archives, and I mean, you, you've interviewed some legitimate, legendary figures, you know, in, in the computer yeah. scene. We, we've done so many now. I forget who we've interviewed. I'm like, <laughs> have we talked to? <laughs> Do you have a favorite? Is there a favorite interview that you've done on the Retro Hour? I personally love Eugene Jarvis. I thought that was amazing because he was really excited, passionate guy. When you got him talking about the kind of making of Defender and stuff like that, he was totally, you know, there. Yeah. As he described it, you could tell he was picturing it in his head. Um, also Galahad, I think, as well, because I always wanted to know what happened behind the piracy and the kind of crack scene. Oh, yeah. And he revealed all. So <laughs> that was great. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, um, Ravi, thank you so much for, uh, for for chatting with us, and by us, I mean me, this afternoon. Uh, if you're watching no this on YouTube, you'll notice that my screen is continually bouncing up and down because the laptop is uh, precariously balanced on my lap as I'm continuing <laughs> to recover from this uh, hernia surgery that I had one week ago today. <laughs> so oh. um, I'm still trying to recover, but but get some uh, Amiga action in. Um, Ravi, uh, I've got a couple of URLs up on the screen here. Uh, the first one is the uh, the Retro Hour. It's actually just retrohour.uk, right? 
Uh, .co.uk. .co.uk, okay. I've done that wrong, so please put the co in before you... The retro hour. The retro hour. (laughs) I've messed it up in every way possible. Um, and uh, But I do believe that I have your YouTube channel correct. It is the formula, but the letter with the number four, right? Yeah, yeah, that was my teenage kind of cool name. (laughs) Formula. (laughs) It's very rave of you. (laughs) Um. So uh, is there anything else that you know, do you have any upcoming events or anything that you'd like to plug before we go? Um, just my new podcast, which is kind of, as I said, me DJing, but I'm going to be DJing with old school computers. So I do that live on Twitch, but you can also listen to it on SoundCloud or iTunes because I'll archive it every month. And I'm also going to try and get a C64 in there and a few, a few other older machines and try and play tunes with that. Oh, and a lot of it's uh, rave music, so it's really banging. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> well, Ravi, thank you so much for being on Insert This Too. Uh, we appreciate it, and uh, we will. Uh, we look forward to all your future Amiga-led endeavors. Cheers. It's an absolute honor. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.